Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We want to talk a bit about uh, COVID, of course. Florida has seen more than 2.6 million uh, COVID cases and more than 39,000 deaths. COVID cases are surging there again, and thousands of people are being admitted to a hospital every day. Some hospitals are even having to uh, convert boardrooms into COVID wards. Those are the headlines, but what are we? What are the people feeling like? What does it feel like in Florida? And are people worried? Are they, you know, and are people getting vaccinated? I'm joined now by Dr. Thomas Unash, who's a professor at the University of South Florida, and he studies diseases. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good, thanks. We, we a few weeks ago we spoke, and things were bad then, but they seem to have gotten worse. How bad are they? Uh, we are at the uh, leading edge of a really, really steep wave upwards uh, caused by a variety of factors, the primary one of which is the uh, Delta variant, which is mm-hmm. now the, the dominant variant by far in the state of Florida. Uh, our case numbers are uh, doubling about once every 10 to 12 days at this point in time. Um, and this is now being reflected in hospitalizations, which are uh, increasing dramatically as well. And we're having a lot of strain put on our hospital system. Yeah, that's this is the biggest so, concern for sure. And so, and what about deaths and things like that? And how are you guys handling all that? Uh, deaths are still a little bit low, but don't forget, deaths lag behind hospitalizations, which lag behind the case increases. And so, we really started to see a dramatic increase in cases about four weeks ago, hmm. and we started to see a real dramatic increase in um, hospitalizations about ten days ago. And so I would expect to have to wait maybe another two weeks before we'll actually get uh, an uptick in any deaths, if that's what we're going to see. When when the vaccines came out, you know, we're looking at December, January, so you guys were first out of the gate in the States, pretty much. You were way ahead of everybody else. Um, But it was always challenging in Florida and Texas, for that matter. Um, But did you ever expect it to get like this again, to see this kind of fourth wave so bad? Uh, I was... Not really expecting this. No, I think um, it's a it's a really unfortunate thing. We were we've been seeing declining case numbers so all the way through June and into the early part of July, and um, I was really hoping that we were going to see case numbers drop pretty much to zero by the beginning of September. Uh, but then this Delta variant, which is so much more infectious, came through, and because we have uh, very few, if any. Um, active uh, social distancing measures here in Florida, it was really able to spread extremely rapidly. I'm not sure if you're following what's going on up here, but it's quite varied as well, much like the United States, where some places, some provinces are doing things differently, like they are in the states with with the different states. Uh, Just last week, Alberta, the province next to us, decided, you know, we're going to do nothing. We're just going to let it, let it ride. We're going to do no more, no more testing, no more nothing. Just like it's, it's, we're good. We're, they're, they're higher vaccination rate than you guys. But um, is this, you know, it's kind of like our Florida a little bit. I think. Do you do you what what what, what thoughts do you have to, to Alberta and their decision to completely not do anything? Uh, well, um, I think that's uh, going to be uh, come back to probably bite them uh, because um, what they're going to start to see is a dramatic increase in hospitalization, and um, it's going to start to really overwhelm their healthcare system. 
And uh, this Delta, the trouble with the Delta variant is even if you have a pretty high level of vaccination, um, you're, we're still a long way in most places from herd immunity. Um, you know, uh, with the uh, original Wuhan strain, we probably would have reached herd immunity by having maybe 60% of our population vaccinated. Um, right. Then along came that happy little alpha strain from the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. and that jacked it up to around 75%. And now this uh, new Delta strain, we're going to need about 80 to 85% of our uh, population to be immune before we're going to reach herd immunity. Because of the speed and, at which um, it travels. I'm not really sure where you are in Alberta, but I'm sure you're nowhere near 85%. No, not there yet. No, not 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 close. To, and and that's the because of the speed of the Delta the variant, right? That's, that's why you have to get higher. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, uh, I, I have a nice little story that I give, a thought experiment that I give. Uh, imagine you have three islands out in the Pacific Ocean that have never seen COVID. And on the 1st of July... Somebody lands on Island One, and they are infectious, and they are spreading the original strain, the Wuhan strain. Um, on the second island, somebody lands, and they have that Alpha strain from the United Kingdom. And on the third island, somebody lands, and they have the Delta strain. Mm-hmm. You come back at the end of July and say, how are they doing? On the first island, they're getting 64 new cases a day with the Wuhan strain. Mm-hmm. On that second island with the uh, Alpha strain, they're getting about 750 new cases a day. And on that third island with the Delta strain, they're having 47,000 wow. cases a day. Wow, that's crazy. So you can see that uh, through the miracle of compound interest and ex- <laughs> uh, exponential growth, um, the Delta variant is much, much worse um, and will spread much faster than any anything that we've seen so far. I mean, that's the science is there. And in Alberta, you know, they're seeing we're seeing some pushback from the, the, the medical community. The doctors are saying, you know, this is crazy. You shouldn't be doing this. What are you seeing in Florida? Are you seeing the pushback from the science community? The doctors saying, you know, no, 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 no. Let's let's turn things back. Let's you know get back to more strict procedures. Oh, yes. Uh, the uh, physicians that I'm uh, involved with uh, and the clinicians that are in the hospitals are really, really concerned about what's going on. And there's two reasons for that. Uh, one is that they're seeing a really explosive number of cases that are coming into the hospitals, uh, which is really putting a strain in the hospital system. But the other thing that we're seeing is a lot of transmission among asymptomatic people in the, uh, among the Delta variant, or, uh, or not asymptomatic, but um, vaccinated, fully vaccinated people. And once we have healthcare workers that are fully vaccinated uh, and turn up with COVID, they're not really getting sick. But they have to go into quarantine for 10 days. So, there you go. so we're losing a lot of our hospital staff. Right. So we have many pa- more patients and fewer staff to handle the patients, which really puts a big strain on the system. And the response... So it's kind of a tale of two worlds here. It's kind of uh, uh, yeah. you know, outside, people are walking around and acting like things are really normal. And inside the hospitals, it's just um, really, really, really stressed. And the government's not uh, budging there? Uh, the government here is, uh, I, I think, could be described as actively uh, working against any social distancing mm-hmm. measures. Uh, the governor uh, recently uh, issued a proclamation saying that any school system that tried to institute mass mandates when our school students return to school next week will uh, be denied any state funding. Wow. So you're talking um, high schools and elementary schools, like not universities, yep. all schools. I, exactly. Whoa. Exactly. High schools and elementary schools. Um, so, um, and he's... Um, um, issued other mandates that say uh, local municipalities and towns uh, cannot um, um, act, institute mass mandates on their own so, uh, or any other uh, um, restrictive measures. Uh, we're not allowed to ask about vaccinations. We're not allowed to require vaccinations for any activities. And so uh, it's basically just a wide open um, how, 
how bad do you think this is going to get there? I mean, clearly there's not going to be, they're not going to take a step back, it seems. So what what do you foresee for for Florida? Uh, Yeah, the models that I'm seeing are predicting that we're going to peak out uh, in terms of daily infection numbers um, here in the state of Florida, uh, probably around the end of August here. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, case numbers, daily case numbers that are somewhere between twofold and fivefold higher, five times greater than what we saw at the highest peak in last January, the January of 2021 peak. Um, what this is going to mean is that by the second week of September, our hospital systems are going to become overwhelmed. There'll be more patients uh, looking for beds and treatment than there are beds in the state of Florida. And and this is so, assu- this is assuming if you see what's happened in Indonesia or uh, what had happened in the uh, United Kingdom back in January. That's kind of what I think Florida might be facing by uh, the beginning of September. And this is assuming another variant doesn't come as long. It's even worse than Delta. Exactly. So this fourth wave could be a fifth wave, sixth wave. If 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 you don't you know if we don't get it under control, uh, get the vaccinations done. Uh, we're going to continue to that see these is, waves. That's absolutely the key. You're absolutely right. Uh, the faster we get people vaccinated, the fewer people are going to get infected, the less chances are that we're going to see new variants, and the quicker we're going to be able to get this thing under control. All right, Dr. Yunash, thanks very much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a great, uh, great day. Take good care. Thanks. George Affleck in for Mike Smith today. And before the break, we heard about the situation in Florida and COVID, and it sounds like things are pretty dire there. Some of the things that we heard from the doctor were that uh, hospitals are likely to be overwhelmed uh, by the end of August, that uh, they're seeing uh, that, they, that because of the Delta variant, they need to get to 85 to 90% uh, vaccination rate. They're not even close to that. They're seeing their government say to schools that if they mandate masks back uh, in the schools, uh, they will be punished and they will have their funding taken away from them. He used a metaphor uh, about an island and uh, comparing the original of COVID to the Delta variant. And if you put a person on an island with COVID on the with the original, you get uh, after a week, you'd get about 50 people. You put a person with COVID with the Delta variant on that same island or on another island, in a week, you'd get more like 50,000 people who would get sick. The, these numbers are, 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 are what De- Florida is talking about. But BC also appears to be on the cusp of, of a fourth wave uh, of COVID-19. Health officials reported 402 new cases yesterday, up from 204 on July 29th. And the first time the figures topped 400 since May. Joining me now is Dr. Brian Conway, the Medical Director of Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre. Hi, Dr. Conway. Good morning. So you heard some of those numbers I threw out there. I'm not sure if you heard the interview, but uh, your thoughts on what's going on in Florida and what we can learn from this. Well, we just need to not do that. And already we're not doing it. We're much higher in terms of our vaccination rates. We're at 80% that have one shot. We're at 70% that have two shots. We have a plan to get probably to 90% with some of the outreach activities. I think that will protect us. That along with case finding, avoiding the entry of new variants into Canada. And for all of us to understand that we live in a world of COVID, we can't ignore it. In Florida, they're ignoring it. In Alberta, Mm -hmm. to some extent, they're thinking about ignoring it. As long as we do all of those things and don't ignore the fact we're still living with COVID, we should avoid a fourth wave. But we're seeing pockets in this province, and, and, and we're seeing a, a strategy to deal with it, but we're seeing pockets that are not even close to getting to 85%, 90%. It's just it's not happening. How do we deal with that? Well, all of those that got first shots, let's deal with them. They know how to get a shot. They're committed to getting a vaccine. Let's get them their second shot. Of those that aren't vaccinated, those that will come to these walk-in, run-in, jog-in events, uh, let's get those. 
and let's have a program in place to answer questions of people that are still hesitant. And I suspect that by reaching out to them, making it easier for them to get vaccines, perhaps in their doctor's offices and clinics and so on, that'll be a strategy that will be very productive going forward. So in Alberta, though, we have doctors uh, protesting now saying uh, this is the wrong decision in Alberta. You have this bizarre situation, which we've is unusual and it hasn't been politicized in B.C., but are we is it a concern that this could happen in some of these areas where it becomes politicized? Oh, clearly. I think the strategy, as it seems to be presented in Alberta, is to say, you know what, COVID is just another one of those things. Go out and get your shot and we're just going to live our lives as if COVID doesn't exist anymore. And that's really a bad mistake. It will lead to an increase in cases. It will lead to uncontrolled community-based transmission. And Minister Dix, Dr. Henry have said we're not going there and we won't. We're not going to loosen up. We're going to go, if anything... Well, we're, we're, not, we're not going to ignore COVID. I think what seems to be upsetting the people that are protesting in Alberta mm-hmm. is Dr. Henshaw, Premier Kenny, and so on have said, let us just go back and deal with other things and consider COVID just another infection that exists. Please go get vaccinated, but we're moving on. It's that aspect of moving on from COVID. We're really not there yet. And we shouldn't think of it that way. And the scenario we're seeing in Florida is a a good example, even though they're not at the highest. I'm not sure where they are comparatively to Alberta, but, uh, you know, that's a test case of what not to do. Oh, absolutely. Plus, they're doing it in the context of at most half of the population being vaccinated. So there are so many susceptible hosts, people that are going to get infected, that it will overwhelm their healthcare system. And it's sad to see. These, this local strategy that we've taken now where we're trying to target those communities and target narrow it down, narrow it down, uh, is that an effective approach? Absolutely. I think with the numbers that we have now, it is something that we can logistically do. And it's something that many had advocated for much earlier. If we recall when Surrey was a hotbed, many were saying, let's just go into Surrey and help them deal with COVID. So what we're doing now is we're seeing the interior, Kelowna in particular, as a hotbed. We're dealing with it by vaccinating people more quickly. People are getting their second shots within several weeks of getting their first shots, localized public health mandates, and a keen attention to who's getting infected and how to interrupt transmission networks that is more being applied in Kelowna than elsewhere. And I think that's what we'll see going forward if and when we have other outbreaks. All right, Dr. Conway, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. For Jaffa again for Mike Smith today. Hope you're having a great Friday. So for four decades, Bridges has been an iconic restaurant for locals and tourists. And its prominent spot on Granville Island, you may know it. It's sort of on the water there. It's a beautiful space. All of that has is about to change, though, because uh, come September, it's shutting down after so many years. Here to fill us in is uh, Bridges owner Daniel Frankel, who's also the owner of Tap and Barrel. You may know that organization. Hey, Daniel. Hey, how's it going, George? Good, good. So this is a family business. I mean, you got, you've been around these, this for your, almost your entire life. You grew up with it. 
you know, your dad, George, was one of the early owners through your uncles. They're all sort of a family thing. So tell me, first of all, what was it like growing up around the whole Bridges and the whole restaurant industry? Well, it was wonderful. I mean, Bridges is what brought my family here from uh, from Israel. And um, my uncle and his partner, uh, one of the original partners, were, were sort of the brainchilds of of this. And uh, my, my parents ended up moving to Vancouver um, for this opportunity. And my dad was actually the very first general manager of Bridges. So, I mean, I just uh, loved seeing, you know, the big uh, patio yeah. and alfresco dining and uh, local seafood, it, it really, uh, you know, really inspired me to it, it was like want that to get pa- into the biz. Yeah, because that patio was, I mean, in Vancouver at that time, it was hard to find a patio, and Granville Island was still pretty new, and so it was pretty, it was very unique when you went down there and saw bridges and this amazing patio, which was strangely that having few patios in the city on the water, but uh, that was that was a big deal. It, it was. I mean, back then, patios in Vancouver were, you know, two to three tables. Their alfresco dining, you know, was right. not invented yet. And, you know, suddenly you had this restaurant open up with 300 seats. Um, it, you know, it was just, uh, <laughs> it was a big surprise for everybody. <laughs> and uh, and people we have a short summer season, so we yeah. love our patios. <laughs> That's right. It's 21 degrees all year round, generally, in Vancouver, rain or shine. Um, so the restaurant, actually, though, you've had a lot of, over the years, many people have worked there. If I've, I've been there and I've seen celebrities there. Um, it's got a lot of history. And so who are some of the people that worked there that went on to do other things that are just kind of interesting? Well, I mean, there, you know, there were so many. It was, it was such a... Um, you know, it, it, it was um, there, there were a ton of people, but one of my favorites was Delilah's, and uh, and I and I bring that up because uh, you know Delilah's was has always been my my favorite restaurant, and I had an opportunity to buy it from Friend Wyndham, who was uh, the, the last remaining partner. All the original Delilah's partners worked at at Bridges, really, um, and I ended up owning that for the last year of its life uh, until until it was shut down. Yeah, it, was and, uh, a, it was definitely an iconic restaurant in Vancouver for, for a long time as well. And that's interesting because I think that's what restaurants, they breed this, you know, this, this team atmosphere. And I guess they were like, oh, let's go start a restaurant ourselves and that excitement and to go on and see that success. What, 41 years for, for Bridges. Uh, you're going to give us a little tip. So why, why close it now or why change it now? It's, you know, it's successful. You go there, it's full. Why change it? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all yeah, it's almost 42 now. It's 41 and a half years. I mean, Bridges is getting tired. It's in need of a major refresh. Um and you know, this is kind of like the perfect hybrid. Um you know, I started a, a very small, you know, local centric brand uh called Tap and Barrel. Uh, I opened my first location uh, 8 8 years ago in the Olympic Village right. and we're a small brand. We have three stores. We have uh, a restaurant in the Olympic Village Convention Center in North Vancouver. Um, and the whole purpose of the brand was to showcase local product, local artists, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, you know, to be stewards in environmental sustainability. And, you know, when I talked to my uncle over years uh, about the opportunity of buying bridges from him and, and his partners, um, and, uh, you know, I just saw that as a great opportunity to, to combine two incredible icons uh, and my passion for hospitality in, into one. So really, it's, it, it's a hybrid and, you know, the two big questions that I've been getting is, one, is the yellow staying? Yeah. Yes. Okay. The yellow staying, it's just getting a big, fresh uh, recoat. Okay. Um, stripping down and, and, and repainting. Yeah. And then the second thing is, is, is the name Bridges staying? Uh, ah. And the answer is yes. We're just adding tap and barrel in front of it. So it will be tap and barrel Bridges. Ah. It will be sort of a hybrid of two local icons coming together, showcasing the best of local. 
Very cool. I think it'll be interesting. This, this last year has been super challenging for the restaurant industry, and you're sitting here looking at you know doing a major, major reno at a time when restaurants are still struggling. So what what give us some inspiration to, and especially restaurant owners across BC who are listening, and and give them some inspiration to keep focused on for success. Well, I, I think the biggest inspiration is that there really is going to be a hospitality boom uh, coming out of this. You just have to hang tight. You know, really differentiate who you are. Keep it simple and. Um, and at the end of the day, it's all about your people. So, you know, there's, there's always been a systemic labor issue in, mm-hmm. in B.C., certainly for the last five or six years, and it's just going to get worse now. So, you know, really, you know, taking care of your people and, and, and building that culture is, is, has been something that's really worked for us and a passion that we focused on. Okay. Daniel, when's the, uh, so when's it going to close and when's it going to reopen? What's the timeline here? So the last day of Bridges, as it is now, is September 26th. Yep. So, you know, I encourage everybody to go down and enjoy it. We've got a great new summer menu. We've got a great happy hour. Um, and then we're shutting it down for six months. Um, and we are doing a massive renovation okay. and completely transforming it. And it'll just be absolutely stunning when so we, we reopen. So we're look at this. putting our heart and soul into this new flagship if anybody's been to the other venues, they're pretty cool, and, and the beer on tap and all that stuff that you guys offer. So we're looking forward to it. I mean, as a resident of Yaletown, it's going to be pretty cool to walk over. So good luck with that. We'll look for it in the op- reopening this spring. Thanks for joining me, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me, George. Cool. Have an awesome weekend. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm George Affleck in for Mike Smith today. Hope you're enjoying your day. I want to always encourage you throughout the day, throughout the show, to give us a call on a buzz line, 604-331-2899, 604-331-2899. So yesterday on the show, we talked about the challenges uh, of prevention in small communities there is uh, with regards to fires, fire prevention. After the conversation, we got an email from a listener who told us about uh, one community that's standing out uh, in their fire prevention efforts. Efforts That community is Logan Lake, and back in 2013, they were recognized as a fire-smart community, and their work actually continues today with an innovative sprinkler system to protect homes. We're joined now by Doug Wilson, fire chief in Logan Lake. Hi, Doug. Hi, how are you doing? Good, good. So first of all, I just want to give you an you know, opportunity to you know, give us your thoughts on what's happening in White Rock Lake and other areas across the BC, and, and uh, your, 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 your thoughts on all those guys out there fighting the fires. Uh, it's a tough goal for them. It's very unfortunate for the communities that are incurring this at this time. Uh, it's a big struggle, but uh, they'll band together. They'll come out better on the other end. Yeah, there's definitely that. Uh, those, those connections within that. Your, your wildfires, there's never any guarantee uh, for any community, but can you tell us a bit about what you guys are doing maybe differently in Logan Lake? So uh, previous chief here, Dan Layton, had uh, come up with this idea and we've installed a commercial metal sprinkler on the home. Um, doesn't affect the roof. We just attach it to a vent in the center of the home, and uh, that allows it to sit there year-round. And the event that we're having nowadays with these fires coming in, we can activate that sprinkler by tying a hose to it to the homeowner's spigot yep. and let it go, and it'll douse the fire um, Essentially, it'll put a mist dome over the home, not allowing any of the embers from the interface fire to land on their properties. And every home has one of these? Uh, no, not at this time. Um, we've put on about 100 of them this year. I'm okay. heading into Camelot to pick another 100 up. So by the end of the year, we should have close to 50% of our residents covered. And, they, and how much do they cost? Uh, we're charged $45. I just recoup the cost and get my volunteer fire department here. They come in their off time, and they install these for these folks. 
So you're looking how many holidays? So fifty percent. So you got uh, another few hundred to go. Yep. And and so and you won an award in 2013. Is that what it was for, or was it for something else? That was for being the first community to be uh, fire smart. Um, so Chief Layton here really pushed on that program. We uh, teach the homeowners uh, to mitigate their properties, remove some trees that are against their home, maybe trim mm-hmm. the trees up uh, nine meters up, stuff of that nature um, to to help with these fires that come in. Remove uh, plastic siding, vinyl siding. Uh, maybe invest in some hardy board on there, stuff that won't burn as easily. So some of the practical things. From a from a fire services point of view, in and around the areas around the city, we heard from a couple of people over this past week that uh, you know there's some things you can do outside the community as far as how you manage risk. Do you guys do that there in Logan Lake at all? Yes. Yeah, so we've gotten a grant in the past, and we've hired eight students, and they're in the crown land around the district here itself. Mm-hmm. And they rake up all the dead uh, debris, fall over the winter time, and then in November we will have it uh, controlled, burned, and removed. At that time, how challenging is that? Now, how much does that cost? As a grant, you get, so you don't predict that you're going to get that money every year. That's correct. Um, we just do what we can with what we're given and work at it that way every year. We've been pretty lucky to get a, a couple hundred thousand in the grant um, to be able to mitigate these type of problems. Would it be easier, and especially in a town the size of Logan Lake, which I'm guessing doesn't have a multi-billion-dollar budget, to have a more predictable uh, line item in the budget to 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 mitigate this kind of stuff and, and give you the to empower the fire guys and and the students to do this every year predictably? It'd be a much better uh, experience for sure. Um, the challenges wouldn't be there if we were able to do that. Uh, we'd have money to continue. It's, it's an ongoing thing. It's not done once your home is done. It's a continuous thing. Uh, year after year that you keep working at. Yeah, because one of the issues with fire fighting and fire and, and wildfires is is the growth of communities across this province as they in, in you know grow into more risky areas. And so, making sure you keep that brush you know controlled, you keep your homes protected is an, is a challenge. When you talk to other fire chiefs across the province, what else are they kind of doing? What do they when they look to you and you tell them, hey, we're doing this? How um, what are they saying? What are they doing? A lot of them are starting to get online with the FireSmart BC program, the FireSmart Canada program, um, getting the literature, getting team leader together to go through their communities to start mitigating. You've got to start small and just keep working at it year after year. Is that key to prevention? To I mean, there's no guarantees, as I said earlier, but how do you, what other things could be done in order to avoid what we saw in, in, in Lytton? Lytton was a unique situation. I don't know what could have done to be avoided yeah. that, but, um, you know, you mitigate your firewood, keep it out in the back, keep your outbuildings uh, away from your main residence, uh, your vegetation that you're going to put around the home, shrubbery, stuff of that nature. Uh, Art and Apps has put out a program that uh, they'll help uh, select stuff that will not burn as easily. That's good. And where can people find out more information? Where do you, with this FireSmart stuff, is, is that's a provincial website? Yeah, just go on. It's a uh, www.firesmartbc or Firesmart Canada, and they have all kinds of resources and literature there that you can look at uh, so that each community can start their own program. 